Welcome to People's Church Podcast. Let me ask you a question to start off today. It's, it's going to be one you probably never thought of before. I think it's a question you probably have never been asked before. See if I can come up with a question you've never been asked before. Here we go. What is your strategy for becoming unpopular? <laughs> have you ever been asked that before? Let's just, okay, have you ever been asked that? Now, right? I mean, no, but you know, in a casual conversation, you'll say, well, what's your strategy for becoming unpopular? Popularity is a very, um, can we say dangerous thing? Jesus is an amazing, from this point of view, in which he didn't seek popularity and he didn't seek unpopularity. But because he wasn't a seeker of the such, he could use them. And he used them as tools. He used unpopularity to get himself on a cross for you and for I. And that's what he's doing in his advance towards Jerusalem, which we've been focusing on. And he was somebody that really took this in from the basis of, he controlled the popularity. When they wanted, he was getting so popular, they wanted to make him right away Messiah King, restore the, the, the throne of David in Jerusalem, and he would be king. He just, he really kiboshed that. Then he would do things like this. He, when he was getting too popular, he'd say, he'd say things that they wouldn't get. He'd say things like, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you can have nothing to do with me. Well, right away, the crowd just went, phew. He looks at his disciples and he says to them, well, are you going to go too? And they said, we have nowhere to go. You're the only one with the words to eternal life. He knew how to thin out a crowd. He knew how to control popularity and popularity didn't control him. And what we find in all of the exchanges in the weeks just before his crucifixion is how he dealt with people and controlled popularity in such a way as to allow unpopularity to be built against him. We're going to look at one story in particular today, but all of his teachings in these last few weeks and all of his actions, and then his actions in Holy Week itself, were to create the conditions where those that opposed him that were in religious and political power could then know they have no other option. In their mind, they had to kill him. And that's what Jesus is doing as he goes along. I'm gonna, we're gonna take a look at one story, and uh, I, I didn't have it until later, but if you find it, you can throw it up, and that's Luke 19. And uh, in the very beginning of verse one and it, through verse 10, there's a story as Jesus, and he's, this is one of the last things to transpire, according to the book of Luke's chronology, before next weekend's Palm Sunday. And he comes into this town, it's Jericho. He comes into Jericho, let's walk through it. Then Jesus entered and walked through Jericho. There was a man there, his name was Zacchaeus, the head tax man, and quite rich. Why does that go together? Anyway, the head tax man and quite rich. He wanted desperately to see Jesus. That's a great condition of heart. That's a wonderful condition of heart. But the crowd was in his way. What an incredible phrase that is. You know, you might have a desire to see Jesus, but you know, you got a crowd in the way. We're gonna talk about that a bit today. What's your crowd? What's in the way? You might have a crowd in the way. He wanted desperately to see Jesus, but the crowd was in his way. He was a short man. In fact, some say extremely short, uh, but, and uh, he couldn't see over the crowd. So, I mean, he just couldn't get a front seat. So he uh, had to do something unusual. Now understand, this is a wealthy guy um, he's got great position of power, huge power player, huge power player. But so he ran on ahead and he climbed up in a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus when he came by. He did a very humbling thing. He did, he did I want to see him so much, you know, I don't care what people think. He's dealing with a popularity filter right there in himself. He said, I really not caring because I really want to see Jesus. He had the crowd in the way, but he came to the position, I want to see Jesus more, so he went and climbed this tree. When Jesus got to the tree, he pauses, he looks up, and said, Zacchaeus, hurry down. Today is my day to be a guest in your home. Oh, these are picking fight words right now. He's picking fights with many in that crowd. In fact, probably almost total. 
Zacchaeus scrambled out of the tree, hardly believing his good luck. Oh no, just God's design. Delighted to take Jesus home with him. Now he's seen Jesus, now he gets to take Jesus home with him. Everyone who saw the incident was indignant and grumped. Some versions say he complained, they complained. Some versions says they were greatly incensed. What business, look at this, what business does he have getting cozy with this crook? Ooh, Jesus just lost a little popularity in that crowd. He went to this guy's house. Why would he go to this guy's house? I mean, come on, we thought you were such and such, and now look at, like, you're going to, I hate this guy. You're going to people I hate. You're going to people I've always considered like a crook. Zacchaeus just stood there, a little stunned. The venom of the crowd kind of shocked him. He stammered apologetically, Master, I give away half my income to the poor. And if I'm caught cheating, I pay four times the damages. Jesus said, today is salvation day in this home. Here he is, Zacchaeus, son of Abraham. You, you have to understand the context. Everybody in that crowd with any kind of religious heritage would never consider him a son of Abraham. In fact, they consider him a, a betrayer, a denier. And Jesus is stating, this is the son of Abraham. Do you know what that means? He's the son of faith. His faith is good. His faith is like Abraham's faith. For the son of man came to find and restore the lost. Interesting story. It's happening just before Palm Sunday. And he is making a statement again that is raising the unpopularity level. He has a strategy for popularity, whether it's going to be unpopularity or popularity. He has a strategy. And his strategy is basically that everything is delayed until it's time for the cross. And now he's ratcheting it up. His strategy from popularity is to, is to use it so that the, these leaders are absolutely in a place where they feel they need to kill him. Popularity and unpopularity. I mean, these are big words for you and I. Uh, this is something that is very common within our own thinking and formation. In fact, many of your decisions are shaped around the concepts of what will this person think? How will they receive this decision? If I do that, I'm going to lose this. If I do the right thing here, these ones certainly will not be happy. Of course, you recognize none of those phrases. But that is the filter that's filtering out the things that would make you unpopular. And rather than seeing popularity as something, as a tool that you control for the service of better and bigger things, Instead, you see it as an objective itself. An objective that in my life, I want to be popular. Popular is a cheap form of approval. It's very fleeting. It doesn't last. Everybody knows that. But look at what Proverbs 29, 25 says. It is dangerous to be concerned with what others think of you. In one verse, it's a dangerous trap. It's a dangerous, and I want to talk about a very dangerous trap to you. Because this is what is holding more people back from seeing Jesus. From being in a place where they will do whatever is required in humility or humbleness so that they can experience Jesus. They've got crowd in the way. And the crowd, they have no... Uh, they, it controls them. They will not break through it. They won't rise above it. The crowd controls the distance that the person has to Jesus and it keeps them separated. Popular filters control us more than we would like to admit. And the Bible says this is a very dangerous trap. But if you trust the Lord, you are safe. Here's what it traps. Let me give you five things quickly. It traps our purpose. 
Popularity will trap your purpose. God's got purpose for you in your family, in, your, in the way that you live your life out in the marketplace, uh, in, in the development of uh, your impact into neighborhoods and into your family and generations. God has real purpose that he wants to achieve. Some of them are great big and some of them are little, but they all kind of all come together in one focus point in God's plan for you. But here's the thing about purpose is that you cannot be worried about being what everybody else wants you to be and focus on what God created you to be at the same time. They don't go together. You cannot be worried about what other people are thinking about you. When you get worried about what they think about, not, it's good to be aware. It's good to know and evaluate. Well, you know, I know this is probably going to cost me here and cost me there, but they don't keep the crowd between you and Jesus. You, you climb the tree. You do whatever you need to do. But too often, the popularity pursuit being the objective keeps us at the back of the crowd not seeing Jesus, but having a desire in our heart to see him. And you cannot be worried about being what everybody else is going to want you to be in life. There's a lot of big lists for all of us, what they want you to be. Oh my gosh, there's a lot of people have a list about the kind of pastor they want me to be. And then there is the way that God created us to be, created you to be. And what God created you to be will never match up with what everybody else wants you to be. They'll always be in collision. They'll always be in collision. If you're always trying to fulfill their purpose for your life, you will miss God's purpose. There's two primary areas that we're going to miss God's purpose for our life. One is envy, envy of others, and we, thereby we miss our own life. We just envy others, and so everything is about, I hate what they've got, I want what they've got, but I hate them for having what I don't have. Envy is different than jealousy. Jealousy is, is boy, I'm jealous of my neighbor's green lawn. Envy is, oh man, I'm jealous of my neighbor's green lawn, and I really want it to turn brown. <laughs> There's a difference there. So, you know, envy is something that will rob you of the ability to do God's purpose. And, and that's where, uh, you know, if you're into popularity, you're into envy. You're into envy. And the other is peer pressure. And we often think this is just the young. No. Peer pressure is, in fact, right now, this would be the thing that's driving most of the crazy changes in our society today and causes people to move in mass in crowds towards things you'd think would never happen. What is it behind that? What is it behind that? What, what is this group think as, as we often use, use the term uh, that is there? Well, there's nothing other than peer pressure. This is where everybody wants to be popular and because that's such a, an incredibly powerful uh, filter to look at your life in, you end up in a situation where you will move with a crowd where you would never have moved alone. The second thing that it traps us in is that it traps our growth. The ability to grow. John 5, 44 says, you try to get praise from each other, but you do not try to get the praise that comes from the, from the only God. So how can you believe? More or less, how can you follow God if your objective is to get praise from other people more than you actually care about getting praise from God? How can you grow? You can't grow. Your growth is stopped because of that filter of needing that praise to such a degree that you are saying, unless I have other people's praise on this, I will not go ahead here. You will stop your growth cold. How can you believe if all that you need is based on what people praise you for but you're not gonna to try to get the praise that comes from the only God. When God is big in our lives, people become smaller. Very simple math, right? But not so simple, is it? It's not so simple when you're at work in, in the back. It's not so simple when you're in the pickup and you've got a coworker there. It's not so simple when the neighbor's like this. It's not so simple when in the relationship you're having this kind of destructive force. It's not so simple, but yet it's simple in concept. And the concept is that when God is big, people are smaller. That is a freeing way to live. Because God is the one that gives you your freedom. 
People just want control. God has a design he wants brought out. He wants you to grow and he wants you to grow well, but you can't really grow well until you deal with God being big. When we allow people to be big, what happens, ends up happening is that God's going to get diminished and we're going to give to people in our lives what really only belongs to God. We give to people authority. We give them influence. We give the people what God deserves to have. See, in, in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ, God and people can't both be equal-sized. I always get confused at one moment in a drive-thru. Do you know what that moment is? Would you like that supersized? <laughs> and then I have to go through a whole decision process. Like, I had a decision. I want a number three. You know? Do you want that supersized? Well, how big is it? How much is it? How many calories in it? And then you start asking yourself the internal question, you know, like, uh, is this would not, this, is this really a good choice to supersize this baby? Because, you know, it's not supersizing the salad, is it? <laughs> Just supersize the greens on my plate. I'm good with that. Nobody asks for that. They don't even ask you if you want your salad supersized. Did you know that? <laughs> Have you found that out? When we supersize people, We treat them equally as long as it's equal with God. I mean, God, your opinion matters in all that. Your opinion matters. But Lord, these people's opinion matters too. Equal, like. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, third. Third trap. Personal holiness becomes a trap of popularity. Exodus 22, 2, first part of the verse is, if a thief is caught breaking in at night and has struck a fatal blow, the defender is not guilty, wrong verse. Okay, that'll be my problem that I gave to them, I'm sure. And so what I'm gonna do is this. Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. How do you like that one? You see, most of the wrong, a lot of the wrong you did was simply because of the crowd between you and Jesus and the crowd that you followed. And, and, and you know, hey, that's just kind of how we are built is that we follow a crowd. If a crowd is moving this way, we move that way. Those are big decisions today that you're making, by the way. You're making those decisions in our culture, in our, in our nation, uh, in your faith. You are making these decisions. Peter was confronted like that too, by the way. He was confronted with that. When, when, when he was confronted uh, all of a sudden with the idea that, uh, that uh, he would never betray Jesus, and he would never deny Jesus, here he is sitting at a campfire. A, a waitress comes along and says, you're one of these guys. You're a follower of Jesus. I mean, he just melts. He melts. What is it that melted him like that? Popularity. Oh, I'm not like these other disciples, Lord. I would never deny you. That was popularity, Satan. I would never, I will never do that. And yet he couldn't sustain his own statements. He had lost his personal holiness. Pilate, he knew that Jesus was innocent. In fact, he even stated, I find no fault in this man. But as the accusers kept up the pressure, he became a crowd pleaser. And turns Jesus over for them to crucify him. Is God big in your life? The opinion of others big? What's your strategy for unpopularity? King Saul, when he was a newly appointed, anointed king, the prophet Samuel said to him, here's a word from the Lord, go and do this nasty task, get it done. He ends up, he doesn't do it because he wanted to be popular. Look at this particular scripture. 
Saul gave in and confessed, I've sinned, I've trampled roughshod over God's word and your instructions. I cared more about pleasing the people. I let them tell me what to do. Boy, that is a, that is a, that's an incredible thing. Like, how powerful, like the control over this, a king, a king. You know, this is a guy that's supposed to understand authority and, and he can't hold his own. It's really interesting, isn't it? Everybody's doing it. What a phrase that is. What a crazy kind of phrase that is. is it, how many heard that phrase from your parents? When, 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 when you would say, did, did you ever say that to your parents? I, I said that everybody's doing it. So, and what do the parents say? If all your friends jumped off, there's the parental DNA right there. Every parent, and by the way, if you're a new parent, use it, it works, it's effective. got to be in the Parent 101 book. It's got to be there. <laughs> Is God big in your life? Fourth, it's a trap on our integrity. On our integrity. Few things in life are as exhausting as wearing masks. <laughs> oh, we just came through COVID. Yeah, you know that. Few things are, 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 do not exceed the exhaustion of just putting on a mask, depending on where you are, who you're with, when you're with them, where you're going, what you're doing. That is extremely emotionally exhausting. Because you create collisions within yourself. You don't have this form of integrity. You are not congruent. You have duplicity. You have to manage two things at the same time. My interests with what I really want, which is popularity, and this, this thing in my life that I really do want to see Jesus, but I got to deal with the crowd, don't I? This is called duplicity. This is why we will say socially acceptable things rather than the thing in our heart that's ringing true. This is why we say things that are politically correct rather than the actual truth. This is a big issue in our age. It's huge. Absolutely huge. It's destroying. Integrity goes out the window. Who do you trust? If popularity is a leader's goal. How do you trust that? That's just like the foundation moves. It's not their strategies that move. It's the foundation that moves first. They have no foundation that is secure that you could say I could trust that. Integrity is far more important than popularity. If only we knew that when choosing. Here's a prayer for you this week. God, help me make my integrity more important to me than popularity. God, help me make my integrity this week more important to me than popularity. It's also a trap for our voice. Our voice. It silences my ability not my opportunity my ability to share the simple truths of who Jesus is and, and and how he's changed my life it freezes up my voice this 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 popularity being out front that that I'm not going to climb the sycamore tree I'm not going to take the risk I I'll just stay in the back I won't get to see Jesus I won't get close but I was in the vicinity Freezes up your voice. 
Listen to this verse, John 7, 13. But no one had the courage to speak favorably about him in public, for they were afraid of getting in trouble with the Jewish leaders. This is coming out of a story where a blind man who had been blind since he was born, Jesus heals him. And he goes, and he's just excited. He is shouting it from the rooftops, even though Jesus cautioned him, you know, it wasn't time for all this popularity quite yet. He always tried to control that until this last journey, which we were focusing on. So this blind man is like proclaiming who he got healed. He tells his mom and dad. And, and so uh, they bring him in and they, they say, hey, you got to stop what you're saying. What are you saying? You're saying... And they're saying, isn't that the man? He is the man that was blind, right? Here was this guy's response. His own response was, I, not, I don't know what you're talking about with Jesus. All I know is, I couldn't see, and now I can. Then, they go to his parents and they say, is this your son that was blind? Like they, they're still having a hard time grasping this thing. Is this your son that was blind? And that's their response that we just read. The parents. The, the parents' response, no one had the courage to speak favorably. They just wouldn't get engaged. The normal response would be, my son's been blind his whole life. Now all these opportunities are open up to me. He can see us and he can look around and he can see where he has lived. He can see his neighbor's faces again. He can now increase his opportunities. This is just an amazing miracle. You know, uh, but no, they would proclaim nothing like that. They couldn't speak of his goodness. They couldn't speak of what Jesus had done for them. Popularity had robbed them. Robbed them. It's a good robber. It's a good robber. John 12, 42 to 43 says this. Many people did believe in him, however, including some of the Jewish leaders. But they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. That's what I love about the Bible. It just kind of states it straight out. Eh? It's just boom. It's just saying, hey, these guys, they had a belief in their heart, but they couldn't bring it out into the public square because they were really afraid of, of that the Pharisees would expel them from the, that, the synagogue. So they were really afraid of the cost. They were afraid that, that they, people wouldn't approve. These leaders wouldn't approve. They... That's called popularity, first class, control. Incredible. When we begin to see that. Sometimes silence might be golden like the old song. How many know that song? That's it? Are you serious? I'm feeling extremely tired right now. <laughs> Seriously, silence is golden. How many know this song? One, two, okay. Oh, you weren't admitting that you knew this song. How many have ever heard of Simon and Garfunkel? Okay, it's one of their key songs. Silence is golden sometimes, but in other cases, you know, it's just coward. The desire to fit in keeps a lot of us quiet. Here's a question to ask yourself. To determine how much popularity's pursuit and objective and filter in your life has controlled you in this. Here's a good question for you. It's a penetrating question. Who around me would hear about Jesus if fear wasn't an issue? More people than are hearing about him right now.
What's the problem? Popularity. So how do you deal with it? What do you do? I want to give you six responses to this quickly. Uh, Let's start with something that's really obvious in this particular story with Jesus as he goes towards the cross is that he's using now his popularity to become unpopular. Have you ever thought about about, uh, you know, McDavid. McDavid's the king of the hockey world right now, right? I mean, he's just the king. I don't care whether you like him or you don't like him. I don't care whether you like the Oilers or you don't like the Oilers. I don't care if you don't like that he scored 60 goals and the rest of the league hasn't. I don't care. (laughs) Imagine McDavid at the height of his glory, 60 goals he got. He got 60 goals in this season. First one in a long time again. So he gets... He's, he's, got, he's got it. He's got the puck with the tape on it. 60th goal. 60th goal. And, and, and he's got that. Now just imagine within about a week, all of a sudden he becomes the most hated guy in town. How could that even happen? <laughs> but that's what happened to Jesus because Jesus controlled the popularity I know what would begin to hurt McDavid's popularity, and it wouldn't be a little problem coming up in his game. It would be choices he makes about who he is and the truths he would stand for or wouldn't stand for. Jesus controlled his popularity so that his whole destiny and purpose could be achieved, to be our lamb. So that he could be our Lord. You are, have to have the same way of working with popularity. Because you're going to have it one way or another. Seasonally it will adjust itself in your life. There will be times you're popular as a parent. And there's times you are unpopular as a parent. Can you imagine a parent ever existing on this planet. That just wanted to be popular with their kids. Oh you can I only have one strategy, and that's to be popular with you, little fellow. <laughs> so to be popular with you, you just tell me what to do all the time. How to destroy a kid. <laughs> so what is your strategy to be unpopular as a parent? That doesn't mean it's like, hey, little fella, I've decided I'm going to be unpopular with you and don't ever ask me for anything. See, that's just as wrong. Popularity is not an objective. Popularity is a tool that you can use, whether it's unpopular or popular, whatever season you're walking in. It really doesn't matter because it's a tool to be used to the glory of God in one way or another. So, first response. Let's understand this. Even God can't please everyone. In this particular story, we have this one section of the story where it says this. Everyone who saw the incident where Jesus is going home with Zacchaeus, the most hated guy in town, they get mad they get complaining, they're indignant and grumped. What business does he have getting cozy with this crook? Even Jesus wasn't pleasing. In fact, Jesus would not have come into his vocabulary. Hi, I have come to please you. No, I've come to save you. Some people pray for it to rain. Some people pray for it to be sunny. And God says, like, iron it out below and talk to me. Will you ever get where you have the same people asking, everybody asking one thing, I want it to be sunny. No, because there's people that want it to to rain. Then there's people that say, you know, I I, I want it to be sunny or I want it to rain and and another person. We can't even agree 
on those kinds of things. And God is going to be very unpopular with us at many times because he doesn't do it our way, when we want it, how we want it, where we want it. He, we don't control God. In, in fact, we want to make sure that we are surrendered to him so that his truth can lead us and so that we can become more like our Lord and so that we might ask according to his will and his will will always be not to achieve the end result of the, or the objective of popularity. It will be be the objective of bringing glory to God, of you fulfilling your purpose, of you actually having that integrity of life. I'm saying some hard things today. Hopefully, you know, it's getting through. I'd hate to think I put all my work into this and I can't get through with this, so don't freeze on me yet. Secondly, Popularity and happiness are uneasy companions. They don't, they don't companion up well. I'd be happy if I was the most popular kid. I'd be happy if I was the most popular parent. I'd be happy if I was the most... We really have this kind of math that plays out. It, it, it's kind of funny, but it does. It, 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 we, we think that somehow that's going to produce a happiness for us, but they are very uneasy companions. In fact, they're often not linked up at all. Popular people can be extremely unhappy. Wealthy people can be extremely unhappy. Healthy people can be extremely unhappy. Happiness is about your choice in life. It's about response, not control. You're as happy as you're going to choose to be. What other people think of you really doesn't have a relationship to your happiness unless you choose to honor the popularity filter. Interesting if you think back, eh? You go back to high school. You're saying, I don't want to go back to high school. I know why you don't want to go back to high school. <clears throat> You go, back to, you go back to high school and you take a look at, at that time in your life. You go back to that when peer pressure was pretty strong. And you followed the crowd often. And the things that you thought were really important maybe weren't so important. In this popularity and happiness pursuit that so many people think dovetail together, they're missing some very key things. John 5, 41 says, your approval means nothing to me. Jesus is saying, your approval has no bearing on who I am or how, how I make decisions or what's gonna motivate me. Your approval has no effect. He doesn't care if you approve of him. Oh, I approve of you. God, I'm glad you're God. And he says, oh, well. Uh, doesn't really affect. He's just going to be who he is. He's going to talk to you about good things. He's going to encourage you. He's going to call you. He's going to love you. He's going to bring grace to you. He's going to challenge you. He's going to chastise you. He's going to do all kinds of things. But what you feel about him in approval doesn't mean anything to him. Isaiah 51, 12 says, I, yes, I am the one who comforts you, so why are you afraid of mere humans? who wither like the grass and disappear. Why would you be afraid of them? They're, they're, they're gonna wither like grass. They're, 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 they're just gonna disappear. They're not gonna be there. They're gonna move off. They're gonna grow old. They're, they're gonna divorce. Uh, there's death. There's all these kinds of things. And I'm the one that's there all the time. I will meet your emotional needs. Why are you looking to everybody else to do things in your life that only I, I really can do? You know, if you're looking for other people, even somebody else to meet all your needs, that's really unfair to them because they're not God. And it will disappoint you because they are not meeting all your needs, but they're not God. So why are you afraid with, when, when, when all of us are just like grass, it's here for a season and then it disappears. I mean, you're not gonna be here, here forever. Fourthly, 
Things of temporary importance lack real value. They lack real value. You know that high school, you thought what that person thought of you was really important. What that teacher thought of you was really important. Even what your parents thought about your marks and everything, that was really important. The only importance it has is very temporary. If you take a look at it just a year later or a month later or a day later, sometimes an hour later, the importance has gone down. Why did I think that was so important? It's temporary. It's temporary. You know, maturity is when you realize everything, everybody I think is important isn't. And everything I think is important isn't. But rather, everything that I think isn't important is. Short-term thinking, long-term eternal perspective. You compare those. Peer pressure, short-term thinking. Popularity, short-term thinking. Rather than living to a long-term eternal perspective. Satan switched the price tags, folks. He made temporary things the real wealth in people's eyes. The stuff the world says is important. It's a con job. In Luke 16, 15, it says this. The things that are highly valued by people are worth nothing in God's sight. Wow, that's really something. Things that we would consider of great value by people, they're worth nothing in God's sight. Nothing, zero. He puts no, he puts no wealth on it. What do we value most today? Very simple, success, wealth, and fame. That's what we value. You're not taking wealth with you, your success with you in these regards. You are not taking your fame with you. You know, um, God is not saying, oh man, movie star, I'm glad you walked through the gates. Let's sit down and watch your movie. Wow. Wow, hockey star, let's watch that 60th goal. I, by the way, I'm all for it. And <laughs> Let's watch that replay for eternity. You figure these things out about value, what's really valuable, when you get sick. You figure these things out when you've got a loved one dying. All your fans don't matter. There's only one person next to whom I owe, oh, I better do this one first. To achieve my purpose, I need to please one person. John 5.30, I can do nothing alone. I judge only the way I am told, so my judgment is fair. I don't try to please myself, Jesus is talking, but I try to please the one who sent me. He's saying, I, I, don't, I, I don't look at my life as I'm doing everything alone. In fact, I'm doing it instead, not even to please myself. I'm doing it to please the one who sent me. I'm doing it to please my father, my father and I. Galatians 1.10, obviously I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. That's Paul. He's saying, if, if I was going to actually make pleasing people, the popularity filter drive my life? Frankly, I, I couldn't be Christ's servant. I would not be Christ's servant if that's the key because I don't satisfy my popularity filter this way. Next, there's only one person to whom I owe an accounting. Romans 4, this is a sobering one. Romans 14, 12, yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. One day we're gonna say, why do we stay at the back? Why is he gonna, he's gonna say, why do you stay at the back of the crowd when in your heart you wanted to get close to me? Why didn't you find some way? Why didn't you spot the tree, climb it? Come on, get up there. I, w I wanted to go to your house. I wanted to take your life somewhere. I, I, I had a real purpose and a destiny. I wanted to walk with you somewhere meaningful. I wanted to pay attention to things that have true value. Why didn't you find the sycamore tree? Why did you keep the crowd? 
between you and I. When you have only one person to please, that is the great simplifying life formula. Very sobering verse next, Luke 9, 26. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father of the holy angels. He's just saying, take your popularity filter seriously because you see, it's robbing you. It's really robbing you. And it gives you a shame of me that I will bring to you. Why didn't you climb the tree? Lastly, there's only one relationship where I become truly me. Romans 12, 2, don't let the world around you squeeze you, squeeze you, toothpaste. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good. Meet all his demands and moves towards the great, to the goal of true maturity. He's saying, you want to hit what your life was really aimed at? That's true maturity. You want to hit that bullseye? Then you can't have the world squeezing you into the way it thinks, into its mold. Instead, you must take the opposite track and let me remold your minds from within so that you don't have a popularity filter constantly keeping you from the best in life. Now, I know there's only two people in this room that that message was meant for. But if you really want to grow in life and you want your life one day to be in that place of what we call real maturity, where you are becoming what God has wired you to be, that he's able to remold your life the way that he wants it to be because it hasn't been molded that way up till this time. And if you want to hit that kind of thing, you're gonna have to dismantle that filter and you can use these six responses to do that that we just went through. He's going to say, did you become what I made you to be? We take that into profession. Don't take it into profession. He didn't make you to be your profession. As we close this, I want you to think about this. There's a couple of things that I think about when it comes to dealing with this popularity filter and the choice I'm going to make at those tense moments when I'm being confronted about something. Do you really believe people that don't know Jesus Christ will not be going to heaven, but they're going to go to hell? Do you really believe that? Do you really believe in the created model of God that there's only a man and a woman? Do you really believe that you should forgive all things? When I'm in those moments and those conversations come my way, I remember a couple of things. One is, I remember Jesus' choice to drive up unpopularity so he could hang on a cross bleeding for Nelson. I remember what he paid for me. And when I start to remember what he paid for me, then I start to get the courage that I might need in those kinds of situations. I remember that he has a plan for me and that I will be accountable also. Not just the hung on a cross, blood shed for me as my lamb, God on a cross for this guy. But I remember there's an accounting
It becomes easier to take your stand. I encourage you. Let's stand together. Father, we are so grateful for this season that we get to reflect once again on your great love for us and the giving of your own son for us. I am so thankful that, Lord, your truths remain unchanged. It is your servants that must change. Lord, it's never your truths that will change, but it's in our hearts and how those truths reside and whether they are controlled by popularity uh, filters in our life or whether it's controlled by love of God and uh, really the idea of our passion of walking of faith in this world that is for eternity. Uh, Lord, I, I know we've gotten, uh, Lord, attached to some temporary value things, and, and we tend to make these things more valuable than they really are. In fact, to you, you have no value in them. And, and Lord, your great apostle, Paul, he, he stated, he said that he counted them nothing but dung, just so that he might, he might know you in your fullness. Thank you for Zacchaeus today who didn't let the crowd keep him from Jesus. He just humbled himself, Lord, this rich, wealthy, high-position guy climbs a tree and you paused because that's the kinds of things that stops you in your tracks when we climb the trees, Jesus, the crowd, will not be between you and I. And you stopped in your trucks. You looked up. I said, today we're having dinner together. There is the privilege. Help us in our hearts, Lord, just where we need to make choices adjustments they may be well underway in our life already they really might be we might be already by your spirit be moving along and this could be a next step big giant step to say this thing's influence is going down because god will be big in my life people will be smaller thank you for your grace for us your patience with us Nurture us with this truth. And may our lives bring a glory to you as we learn to live without an objective of popularity and be willing to use popularity or unpopularity as a tool. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you find this program helpful or would like to learn more, please give us a call 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.